My subject matter this morning is reasons to be a soul winner. My opening text is Proverbs 11, verse 30. It said, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So the fruit or the evidence of living righteously is life. If you live for the Lord, if you live a righteous life, it therefore is evident because your life is enriched in every way imaginable. And the fruit of walking in godly wisdom is that you know the value of seeing the gospel shared and people coming to faith in Christ. Wise people understand that there are several aspects of life that we're responsible for. And one of them is our stewardship of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And that is a sacred stewardship that has been given unto us by Jesus our Lord. And wise people understand the sacredness of that trust and use it to help humanity that is hurting and lost to come to a knowledge of Jesus' love. So God has called us to experience both life and the joy of seeing others come to faith in Christ. There is something that cannot be described that happens within our nature, our soul, our spirit, when we share the gospel and see other people respond with an affirmation. It just changes us. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, Jesus is ministering. We're going to pick up in the 18th verse and read down through the 25th verse. And it says, And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's the only identity they knew. They grew up as sons of a fisherman, and therefore they took on that occupation, and they were fishermen. They, they didn't know that there was more to life than fishing. To them, fishing was everything, and providing for their family, and potentially, you know, keeping a a good reputation among their fellow citizens. But they encountered Jesus, and he expanded their vision beyond just becoming fishermen. And it says in verse 19, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him, which shows me something very significant. I don't think it's exclusive just to Simon and Andrew. I think it's in each and every one of our lives, no matter what your vocation or your occupation, you know there's more. You, you know there's more than the nine to five. You, you know there's more than the daily grind. And, and so when Jesus expanded their thinking and he said, if you would, you know, hook up with me, you know, connect your train with mine, I'm going to take you places you never thought you could go and I'm going to make you things you never thought you could be. And he said, if you'll follow me, then I will make you fishers of men. In verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I don't know how challenging it would be for you if you were the heir apparent of a business and... You're there and you're doing your craft and going about your responsibilities of your trade and you're with your dad who is one day going to hand the reins of the business over to you and a complete stranger comes up to you 
and says, I want you to change occupations. I want you to leave what you're doing in order to follow my plan and will. And your dad's right there. And immediately you drop everything that you're doing and you follow that individual. Honor was a part of the Jewish culture. They knew that one of the Ten Commandments of the Lord was to honor your father and mother. And they knew it was the first commandment with a promise that things would go well with you. And here's the second benefit, and you would live long on the earth. Now, here they are, and their dad is there, and Jesus comes and extends an invitation. And yet, the invitation is so compelling that they left their father's business and they followed Jesus. And verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Now, because these four men are following Jesus, they're experiencing the manifestation of God's glory. And then it said, then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. So the fame of Jesus began to be spread abroad. Matthew's gospel, chapter nine, verse thirty five through thirty eight. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages And what was he doing? Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion, which is love and action. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, because of this, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me go back and talk about the four that Jesus originally called to follow him. There were plenty of fishermen in the area, but there weren't enough laborers doing gospel work. And Jesus came to gather people and to prepare them for what he had prepared for them. Now, they had a vocation and they had a career path, but it was more, there was more to life than just their vocation and their career path. And, and this maybe hits home with some of us men. We're, we're, we're not very good at multitasking. I mean, if you give me one thing to do at a time, I'm a lot better at it and I'll get that one thing done and then I can go on to the other. And in this particular encounter with Jesus and these men, He broadened the path for them. He broadened the path for them. And God is a good steward of every aspect of our life. Nothing that we do for the Lord is wasted. And so he wasn't saying what you're doing is useless. He didn't say that, you know, your father's a deadbeat. You need to come follow me because I've got something better for you. What he did, he just added to their life. He didn't diminish the life that they had. He didn't degrade the life that they had. He said, there's just more to the life that you have than what you think. And when they began to follow Jesus, what they encountered was the more that God wants us all to encounter, and that is lives being changed. And that is being a part 
of the company of believers that's in the earth that believes that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's calling us unto himself. He's calling us to a bigger and a broader life than what we're, than what we're experiencing right now. So here are some reasons that I think all of us need to be soul winners. The first is Jesus was, is, and always will be seeking and saving those that are lost. He's never going to stop doing that. And he is our example. Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost when he was here. And he's commissioned us to follow in his footsteps. Number two, the love of God compels us. I'm sure since you've come into a relationship with Christ that your life has been transformed as mine has. But transformation is a process. There's this initial encounter with the love of God, and then there's this abiding in the love of God. And we need to abide in the love of God. I I thank God for every experience that I've had with the love of God, but that abiding in the love of God is what causes you and I to be fruitful if we abide in Him. And so this love that He has poured out in our heart by His Spirit compels us to not be silent, but to be a witness for his glory. Number three is the harvest is great. The harvest is great. So possibilities abound. If I was to present unto you a new field that you could be a pioneer in and that you could see tremendous results for your life, if you got in on ground level, many of you would be interested in that. What is this new adventure that you're talking about, Doug? And what are the possibilities? And if I told you that the possibilities of a harvest or your life experiencing more fruit is great, I would catch your attention. Well, listen, Jesus has promised that unto us. He said the harvest is great. You can get in on any level. You can get on ground level. You can watch other people get on ground level and you can get in mid-level or you can get in at some point in time, though, you can jump in and you'll experience the greatness that he's talking about. I also want to say that since the love of God compels us and Jesus was and is and always will be a soul winner, we need to freely talk about our friend Jesus. Because we are the children of God by birth. We are servants and slaves by choice. But we are friends through a relationship. So we want to make Jesus famous. I want Jesus to receive the fame that's due unto him. And the glory and the honor that he deserves. And he alone is worthy of. I want Jesus to be famous. I want others to come to know of his grace and his goodness that I've tasted and seen that he has been good. All right, number four is the labors are few. So opportunities, once again, and possibilities abound. The possibilities are endless. You know, our assignment is endless. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's your assignment. So it's not just restricted to a time and a place of occupation or it's not tied directly to, you know, something that you, where you live geographically. It's much bigger than the field that you and I live in day in and day out. The world is the field. And the laborers are few. And that's why I believe Jesus' invitation was so compelling because 
Not only had they never heard of a new opportunity, talking about these disciples that he invited, they, they were looking forward to something out of the ordinary. Every now and then, you know, I live in a town, like many of you, rural America. Uh, there's only so many ways that I can get from my home to this location. And I can wear a path and be in a rut, or I can sort of take a roundabout way to get here and experience another way or another path in which to come to this location. I can stay like this, you know, this is the way I go to work, this is the way I go to work, this is the way I go to work, ho-hum every day. Or I can venture out and come to work through a different path. These disciples were like us. They were in a routine. They were comfortable. Everything around them was familiar. Does that sound like any of us with our occupations or our job? I mean, we're so accustomed to it, we say, I can do my job with my eyes closed. I mean, I can just show up and I'll tell you what's going to happen. Wouldn't you want something more than just vanilla in your life? How about some sprinkles and how about some toppings on it? How about life having a little bit more variety than what you and I are experiencing right now? That's what Jesus is calling us and compelling us into is out of the ordinary routine, you know, predictable life into an extraordinary adventure with him. He's not calling us to be irresponsible. The work of the ministry is just that. It's identified as work, W-O-R-K. So there is equity, sweat equity, and spiritual equity that actually has to go in for us to develop as laborers. Laborers are few, so the possibilities abound. Number five, we have been called and commissioned by our Lord. I, I can't think of a higher privilege than to say for God to tap each and every one of us on the shoulder without exception, knows us all by name, and invites us into this commission. And it's a co-mission, so it's his mission that we're cooperating with. How many of you are familiar with co-ops? I mean, there's a partnership in it, equal equity. And that's what this, this, this commission is about. It's equal equity. It's not that someone has more benefits than the other. We all are in it together. And when we're in it together, good things happen. Let me share with you the way that the kingdom grows is the people of God get excited about the commission that God has called them into. They're excited about the possibility. They're looking forward to it, and it's an adventure. You go into it with a little trepidation. I get it because it's new. But once you get your feet wet, you're like, yes, this is what I was born for. I was born for more than just the nine to five, than the ordinary. And I'm not diminishing where you work. Where you work is a mission field. There's a lot of people there that are waiting for you to shine your light, waiting for me to shine my light, and our light is significant to those people. I'll illustrate it this way. Hans Kornstra, a dear friend of this church and who's in the Netherlands, and we love Hans. Recently, over the probably it's been six weeks ago, uh, Marika, his wife, has gone home to be with the Lord. And so Hans has stated that, you know, he probably will never travel to the States again. So Hans is now in his 
mid-80s. He's been used by God around the world in miraculous ways. And he's a very, very dear saint and dear friend unto this church. And Hans was telling me a story that years ago he was having trouble with his heart. And so he went to the doctor and the doctor had diagnosed him that you're having, you know, uh, something significant, so we need to check you into the hospital. So Hans gets checked into the hospital, and in the Netherlands, you share a room with somebody else. And so he's got a roommate, and his roommate is, is not someone who's a very good roommate. They grumble, they complain, they're, they're rude, they're unmannerly, they play their TV too loud, uh, they snore, they burp, they make other body noises, and so it was just... The, the someone he wouldn't have chosen, he would rather be by himself. And he's complaining and bickering and belly aching. He doesn't feel well. He's moaning. He's groaning. And Hans is laying in his bed trying to figure out, what in the world am I doing here? And one night he had this moment of enlightenment. And he sat up in his bed And there was just a thin curtain that separated him and his roommate. And he pulled over the curtain and he looked and he said, I know why I'm here now. There's nothing wrong with my heart. There's something wrong with yours. And he led the man to faith in Christ. The next day, the doctor said, we can't find anything wrong with your heart. He said, I know I wasn't here for my heart. I was here for somebody else's. Sometimes when you're at work and it doesn't seem like things are ideal for you, Right. You're there for somebody else because their heart's not right. And instead of you joining the bickering party, the complaining party, the woe is me party and letting that spirit jump off on you. Why don't you let the spirit of the Lord jump off on them? Amen. So we have been called and commissioned by our Lord. Three ministries we're all called unto. You may not have known this, but you're called to minister to the Lord. That's your highest calling to spend time with him, to know him so you can make him known. It's hard to talk about someone you don't spend any time with. Hard to know what they like and what they don't like, what pleases them, what grieves them, what causes them to have joy, what causes their heart to break. If if you don't know an individual, how can you share the story of that individual with others? And so we're called into this wonderful relationship, this union with Christ. Number two is you're called to his people. I want to say that while Miss Kate came down here and gave an announcement, and I I trust you understand that was a call to all of us as a church to minister to children, I went upstairs and ministered to the children. And I want to say that I love being up there. For the three or four minutes I was up there, your kids are fantastic. And I thought to myself, I get to give away fruits roll-ups. What am I doing downstairs? I could be upstairs with the kids. Listen. All of us have a part to play and some role that's significant in helping the body of Christ to be knit together and to grow, without exception. And some parts are more visible than others, but we all have a part to play. So we're called to his people. And then the third is we're all called to the world, to the lost that are in the world. We're called to go into the highways and byways and compel people to come to Christ. You know, those that are compromised and those that are marginalized and those that don't feel like they have access to the grace of God. Those who feel they have gone too far. Those who have have really felt like there's no opportunity for a new day for them, a new season. There is with Jesus. Jesus makes all things new. I want to close this fifth point 
by reminding you that God takes full responsibility for the life that is yielded to him. God takes full responsibility for the life that is yielded to him. Catherine Coleman, a woman that was used mightily of the Lord in signs, wonders, and miracles, was talking to an Assembly of God uh, convention, primarily uh, men, ministers uh, in the Assembly. I would say that 95% of the audience were men. And she stood on the platform, and these were her words. I don't know why God chose me for this ministry. And she paused, and she said, one of you must not have wanted it. She looked at herself as the last candidate, but what she became was a yielded vessel that God used to touch hundreds of thousands of lives. That would have been a sobering moment to be in that setting. And I hope you feel not the weightiness of this, but I hope you feel like there's a mantle that's coming upon you or a cloak that's coming upon you that God has actually commissioned and called you And he takes full responsibility for the life that is yielded to him. Don't worry about your life. Our responsibility as Christians is to lose our life so we can find it. And we lose our life when we find our life in Christ. That is the great goal of Christianity. is not to live for ourselves, but to live for him who loved us and gave himself for us. Number six, I'm a debtor and you're a debtor. We are debtors. I owe Jesus everything. We have been bought with a price. Scripture said it was the precious blood of Jesus. But remember, so has everybody else been bought at that price. Everyone has equal equity and worth and value in the eyes of God. There are no big eyes and little use. Everyone is welcome because the ground is level at the cross. The ground is level at the cross. Anyone can come. Any walk of life at any time, in any season, no matter what's going on, they can come to the cross and find acceptance. And so we're debtors. As I stated earlier, that we're sons and daughters through the new birth, and we are servants by choice. But when you think about a slave, and I want to expound here just for a moment, I was on the auction block of sin, and so were you, and Jesus purchased me with his own blood. So I did not get what I deserved, which was judgment. As Scott shared last week, we received mercy. And a big kudos to Scott and to Joe and to everyone who serves in this congregation. Charlene and I are so thankful to be part of a body of believers that gathers because of Jesus And the benefits and the side benefits are one another. But he's our primary one that we're here to please. So we are debtors. I I have a debt that I will carry and be aware of the rest of my life. I bear the mark of a slave. I've been branded by God. And as a result of that, while I have freedoms, I don't use my freedoms for my own purposes. I use my freedoms for the purposes of God. So we're always available. Whenever the master calls, the servants and the slaves respond because we're debtors. And I think that that is a good way 
to remind ourselves to stay humble, to stay available. I want to talk to you for a moment before I get to number seven about the three most important decisions of one's life. The three most important decisions of every person's life that has ever lived or will ever live. Number one decision is who will be your master? Number two, who will be your mate? Number three, what will be your mission? Who's going to be your master? Number two, who's going to be your mate? Number three, what's going to be your mission? You need to write down a mission statement for your life. It can be really simple. It can be five words. It can be two sentences. It could be a paragraph if you wanted to expand it a little bit more. It could be as simple as, I am called to be a light. And if you looked at that every day, it would remind you of a mission that you've been called into. I'm called to care for widows and orphans. That could be predominantly on your heart. That could be your mission. I am called to be a disciple a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's a mission. That's a mission statement. All of our mission statements should be in line with God's word. It's not just something we're wanting to do and asking God to bless it. We're just doing what the word says to do. Those are the three most important decisions that anyone can make with their life. Who's their master? Who's their mate? And what is going to be their mission in life? You know, your mission, if you're a mom and a dad with young children in your home right now, is to invest in those young lives. And so this mission statement can grow and change and evolve over time. But whatever season of life you're in, that mission statement should line up with that season. And it should be something that compels you to good works, to do something proactive with your life. Number seven, everybody ready for number seven? Number seven, reason why all of us need to be soul winners is eternity is real and before all of us. It's not make-believe, it's not fictitious. It's actually identified in Scripture as destinations. Eternity also is in the heart of everyone. The book of Ecclesiastics tells us this. And so someone is waiting for us to break the ice and have a conversation with them about what's already in their heart. Now, some people may break the ice for us and ask us a question about the hope we have in Christ. But then there's others we need to be the icebreakers in. And we need to break that ice because... Without exception, everyone has questions about life after this natural life. It's in the heart of everyone. So you're just talking about what's in someone's heart already. You're not bringing up an unfamiliar subject matter. Maybe it's a little awkward for them. Maybe talking about death is a little morbid. It could be a little eerie. could be a little scary. But they can come to peace with God and... The fear of death loses its grip. I'm not afraid to die. 
Recently, Charlene has wanted me to get extensive blood work. So I go to this doctor who is proactive instead of reactive. And, and it's just uh, something that my wife wanted me to do. And as I approach 60, she's a little bit more interested in how much longer I'm going to stand upright. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to do this. And um, so we, we go see uh, this wellness doctor, and he's incredible. And uh, in the course of our conversation, uh, he shares with me his experiences with pastors. And he says, pastors, he said, you're fabulous people, except for you have a few really bad qualities. Number one is you don't take care of yourself because you're always taking care of other people. So you put yourself last. And number two is sometimes you uh, don't always... Practice what you preach. And I said, well, it looks like you're the pastor and I'm the congregation today. We get to talking and, you know, I mean, they drew a lot of blood. How many vials? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They drew twelve vials of blood. Just taking blood. Because you can really understand what's going on with an individual when you look at the blood work. You go deep enough. So they bring me back all of these results. And for the most part, I'm in the ranges I need to be in. But then he says there's three fires that are going on on the inside of you, Doug, right now. Three fires. And you're aging more on the inside than you are on the outside. And we need to start slowing this process down. And he says, while I'm not concerned right now, if you don't make course corrections, there's some problems that you could face in the future. And I thanked him. Another neat aspect to this encounter, just while I'm on this bunny trail, because I'm talking about eternity is in front of all of us, and this life is like a vapor, it's short. The sand through the hourglass is going every day. Every day that we live, we're one closer to, one day closer to eternity. And yes, we need to be good stewards of this physical body, but there's more than just the physical body. We need to be good stewards of our soul and our spirit. We need to be good stewards of all of it. And so I met this doctor and he said, tell me your story. Why are you here? I said, I'm here because my wife loves me and I want to honor her request. I would have never sought you out. I would never have come on my own. I'm here because my wife simply asked me to come. And he said, you know, you understand all my my work is out of pocket. I said, yeah, we've got pockets. They've got money. We're okay there. We're going to take care of it. And so we have, you know, just charted this course. And he says to me, he said, uh, have you ever heard of Billy Sunday? I said, yes. Billy Sunday uh, was a tremendous all-star baseball player, um, came to faith in Christ, and in his walking with the Lord, he discovered that God had called him to an evangelist. So in the height of his career, he left Major League Baseball and began to travel across the United States putting up tent meetings Having putting up tents and having meetings and calling people to faith in Christ. I said, you want to know something about Billy Sunday? And he said, yeah, I'd like to hear your side of the story. He said, because I went to school at Billy Sunday School in Indiana. And I said, I think, and, he, and then he said, I think we have more in common than what, than what this blood work is just about. I said, I believe that. And so in the course of me and him interacting, I said, my story about Billy Sunday is the church that I pastor right now is here because of Billy Sunday. He said, no way. I said, yeah. I said, 
you know, in the, in the uh, mid-50s, Billy Sunday came to Knoxville, Iowa. He put up a gospel tent, catty corner to where I pastor today. There was a young man that went to that tent meeting, Bill Jenkins, and Bill Jenkins Sr. gave his life to Jesus Christ. He had grown up in church, but he had never submitted and surrendered his life to Christ. He gave his life to Christ. From that, he began to farm. He was one of the most successful farmers in Marion County, not only in grain, but also in livestock. And because of his wonderful reputation, other farmers really had a lot of respect for him. So as he got older in life, he reached 50 years of age. And at 50, he told his wife, Audrey, I'm 50, and I haven't followed through with what the Lord has called me to do with my life in reaching people for Christ. And so at 50, he started a men's prayer breakfast. At this men's prayer breakfast, 50 men, usually 40 to 50, every Saturday morning at 5 a.m. Does that ring a bell? Right? 5 a.m. gathered at their home and had breakfast and heard the gospel. From that, there were several men that came to faith in Christ and realized that God had a call on their life and went and got trained for Bible school. Homer and Barb Hall, Tom and Denise Kirkman, Dan Barry, all of them went and they came back and they started this church. And I said, now I'm the fourth pastor. Eternity is in the heart of everyone. Everyone, it doesn't have to be, open your Bible, let me find this text, but eternity, the things that are beyond this life, can you can interact and engage with people about the things that are beyond this life and the hope that you have because of Jesus Christ and the life they can have because of his resurrection. Wow! Think of the possibilities. Don't, don't think of the problems. You'll talk yourself out of it. Don't think of the rejection. You won't ever engage. Think of the possibilities. Think about it. And think about who's working with you. And whose message you're really sharing. And whose story you're really telling. And it'll make all the difference. So as I close, here are a few nuggets that I want you to gather in your heart. So, some of you are wondering how my blood work came out. Well, right now... Because of Dr. Zach and his uh, prolific staff, I am in the midst of a liver cleanse. How do you like that? (laughs) Well, what does that mean? Is there something wrong with your liver? No, but there's never going to be. I'll tell you that right now. Because I know how to cleanse it. If it ever gets dirty, I'll give you a two-week program. And you'll love it. You'll love it like I do. We go to the restaurant. What can you have? I can't have anything. I'll have a few lemon wedges and a salad. But I love my wife. But I'm not afraid to die. But here's the thing. Why die before I have to? Why not live as long as I can? There's no retirement in gospel work. There is in vocational work, but not in gospel work. There would have come a day in Simon and Andrew and James and John's life where they were done fishing. You can only fish so long. It's hard work. It's like laying carpet. You can only kick carpet for so long or lay flooring for so long or do cement work for so long. But you can always represent Jesus because he's always with you. 
few nuggets. Pray your guts out and love their guts out. I mean, before you go, Jesus said, pray, pray the Lord of the harvest. We can't do it apart from the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest leads us to those fields. Remember, as you go, you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, a spirit of power, might, and a sound mind. So you don't need to force any conversation. Just follow the Spirit's promptings. Let love prompt you. And always remember, it's a privilege to share and, if necessary, suffer for our Savior. I want that last phrase, suffer for our Savior, to sink in. Because at times, because they despised him, they'll despise us. They hated him, they'll hate us. Not everyone is on the Jesus fan club bus. But I am. I am. I stick my head out the window. I fly my kite. I wave my banner. I'm on the Jesus bus. Because it's the only one that leads me to life and peace and leads me home to heaven with him. Amen. So I'm a fan of Jesus. I'm on the Jesus bus. And he makes a lot of stops. And all we have to say is, hey, get out the shack, Jack. Right? We won't go there. You remember the song? Don't need to be Coy Roy. Get on the bus, Gus. Yeah. And set yourself free. Set yourself free. Free from the bondage of sin of slavery, and enter into this great commission that Christ has called us to. You know how the kingdom grows? We go. We go. And where we go, we represent Him. But that's how it grows. You know how a church grows? People are excited about the church they go to. Anything that's good that happens in life is because someone is enthusiastic about it. Tonight is game seven for all the basketball fans between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. No one ever thought there'd be a game seven. But Miami, somewhere in the midst of being trounced in game five, found a reason to get back up off the mat and go to Boston and beat the Celtics. They were enthusiastic about the possibilities of their what being a game seven. They didn't think we're going to lose game six. Now, I hope both teams show up tonight with the mindset of great enthusiasm. Because if that's the case, what a slug out it's going to be. Because it's all or nothing to get to the finals. If you're enthusiastic about your marriage, you talk about your marriage. You're enthusiastic about your occupation, you talk about that. You're enthusiastic about Jesus, you talk about him. Whatever you're enthusiastic about, amen, is the point of our conversation. Pastor Drew's enthusiastic about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm with you. I watched the first two. They were good. He was enthusiastic about Top Gun. So Charlene and I and Luke went yesterday. Yeah. We saw Blaine and Amber. They were enthusiastic about Top Gun. Blaine, did you and I cried? Yes, we did. Yes, we cried. That opening song came on and I thought, wow, where's Goose? Why are you doing this to me? We're enthusiastic. I will not spoil it for anyone. It's worth to watch. It's worth to watch. Who has done more for us than Jesus? There's no one. 
No one has done more for us. And therefore, we can go and we can be at peace with we can go. Even if we suffer, we're in great company. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.